Welcome to season 10 of Digital Learning Radio. I'm Catherine and I'm joined by my co-host, Laura. Hey. And this season of the podcast, we're sharing what is inspiring us on our ongoing story of learning. This week, we'll be hearing from Laura, and I'm looking forward to learning about what has been inspiring her. And I'm excited to share, but first, let's do a check-in with you. So last week, you shared about the extended mind and some of the ideas that you'd read about. So I'm curious to know, how's it going with the book? What else have you learned, or how have you thought to apply what you're reading to your current work life? Well, my challenge for myself was to create some kind of product or output as a summary of ideas in the book. And I wanted to use the lens of professional learning and bottom line, I did it. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) You were a good accountability partner, but like the past couple of weeks, I have a two for one specials. I know your second question is a quick win. So I'm going to share my quick win because I have a new tool that I've tried called racket and it's mm-hmm. a way to create audio. And that's how I created my product from the book extended minds. So Ooh, okay, cool. A true two for one. Okay. Tell us more. When we chatted last week, I was um, about 25% through of the book and I didn't exactly know what I wanted to produce as some kind of output. And I was thinking text or a visual, but because I love audio, I decided I think this is a good platform for sharing my work, sharing my voice. I did not finish the book though, but I finished part one. So what I decided to do is create a little summary audio reflection of part one of the book, and that's extending the mind with our bodies. And I connected all of these ideas to designing and delivering professional learning. I shared a few of the ideas in last week's episode, but I was able to dig into it a little bit more. The book covers extending the mind with the body through sensations. And so that's like breathing and meditation, movement. We talked about somewhat on the podcast last week, but just making sure movement is incorporated and then gestures. And I also mentioned some of those ideas. So it's a nice little summary and it's an audio clip that I will share in the show notes. (laughs) That's amazing. What a cool way to curate and collect your thinking again in a medium that you love audio. I'll be excited to check that out and give that a listen and also explore Racket. Let me tell you the cool thing about Racket since this is my quick win. Racket is great one because it is super easy it is just like clicking a button and you start recording but one thing that I really need is there is a time constraint so Mm -hmm. the longest audio clip can be nine minutes and when I'm super excited about a topic I tend to get a little bit chatty relatable So that time constraint was good. Once you finish recording, you pick an image from their library, copyright friendly, and then you Mm. hit publish, and then you get an automatic transcript. Oh, wow. Cool. And then you just get a share link. So it's not really a podcast. It's not something that can be shared 
on Spotify or mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts. But I'm thinking it would be great if we wanted to record an audio piece for our sessions to give participants choice. Okay, so- that's pretty cool. That's uh, that's awesome. That was definitely a two for one or maybe a three for one. <laughs> I'm excited to hear your reflection and thinking about more from the extended mind. And yeah, Rocket sounds awesome. So that is an excellent quick win. Thanks so much for sharing. I, I think because I love audio so much and because of our theme this season, it has further inspired me. And so what my next plan is sharing these audio reading reflections as Mm. frequently as I can, and maybe a paragraph, maybe a quote, maybe a whole chapter, but anyway, stay tuned for more racket reading reflections. I absolutely will. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for letting me share. I'm excited about that. But what I'm really excited is to learn from you, Laura, what is inspiring you to learn this week? All right. I am so glad that you asked. So this week I've been thinking a lot about a podcast that I listened to last week from Jennifer Gonzalez at the Cult of Pedagogy. And the title of the episode is Introduce the hyper rubric, a tool that takes learning to the next level. Okay. I love Jennifer Gonzalez's podcast and I can't believe I haven't heard this episode yet. So I am really looking forward to the details. And so you're going to start us off using our time constraint and give you 60 seconds or less to tell us about hyper rubrics. All right, let's do it. A hyper rubric is a way to reframe the use of rubrics and shift them from a tool that's used mainly for evaluation to a tool that's used more for progress. So the end goal is to move from those static evaluative descriptors that we use in the boxes or the levels of our rubrics to language that's more progressive and provides concrete steps for learning progression. So it takes the traditional rubric design, which is helpful lots of times for teachers for grading and assessment to really make it a valuable tool for students that focuses on instruction through revision and process over product. Now the hyper part comes into play when keywords in the rubric descriptors are hyperlinked to provide students references to mini lessons, notes, videos, or other resources to help teach, reteach, or remind them of a concept that's covered in their task. It's basically a pretty cool way to organize learning for students in one nice container. Ooh, I heard that beeper. Uh, that, the timer. I, I kind of talked over it. It still counts. Okay, of course. All right. So that sounds really interesting. Why were you excited to share this or what inspired you to share hyper rubrics? So I'm feeling inspired by this idea because I think it takes a lot of the conversations and the buzz of our current reality to rethink what we're doing, maybe transform some of the ways we've always done things. And this hyperlink addition to this style of rubric really came from two uh, high school English teachers. So they're speaking my language. Uh, And really for them, it was a, a pandemic innovation that really proved to be a helpful and lasting piece of this style of rubric. And so when we're thinking about 
these topics of differentiating for students or giving them choice in how or when they learn, I think having the links and the related resources just embedded right there in the rubric is so cool and such a, a small shift, but such a big one that really does give students their own guide to their individual learning progression and really that shift in providing students with some of that autonomy in the way that they learn and one that I could see being really effective as a classroom practice. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about just the logistics of this document or this container. Absolutely. So on the podcast, the creators who, again, shout out to the high school English teachers, Jeff Frieden and Tyler Rablin, they're interviewed by Jennifer on her podcast. And so really, they talked about wanting to fix two main issues with existing rubrics. And so that first piece is this idea of the finality of the current language in the columns of these mastery levels. Students would see that they're like a level two and it felt like, okay, this is where I am and this is what I am. It felt more final and less of this progression or scale for growth. The second piece that they wanted to solve is the lack of clarity that some of our rubric descriptors have. You you have the scale of kind of get it, I get it, or I mostly get it. So they really wanted to think about how to do that differently uh, as well. So the fix that they designed is really in the labeling of the levels of the rubric. And so we go from beginning to extending. And again, it really is more of a learning progression. And those descriptors follow Bloom's taxonomy of thinking to master that concept. So bear with me with the English example. We could have the example of instead of being at a level one and having little mastery of a concept with frequent errors, your rubric might say something like you're at the beginning level and you've got the language of I can explain what an independent clause compound subject and compound verb are. From there, that could progress up to extending the level of learning with something like, I can use compound sentences with independent clauses that include compound subjects and verbs in my writing. So basically, there's a shift that follows blooms in the language that begins with something like, I can explain or identify a concept and works its way up to, I can apply or use that concept. Okay, so then where the hyperlinks come in is the scaffolding like a teach piece if it is i can't even explain what an independent clause is would there be a link to a video or a definition absolutely absolutely Ah. and so in that example identifying a compound sentence an independent clause each of those could be separate resources and so it could take you to like notes from the class that you've already covered or a video or an outside resource. And so really it is a a nice organization to reteach or refresh or remind what it is that we're covering here. And again, makes it more usable for students to monitor their own. They really use the word uh, progress of learning or learning progression quite a bit. And so students really can track that instead of you as the teacher doing it in an evaluative way uh, at the very end. So it's something that is part of of the creation process and not that final assessment. Hey, you're a level two. This is where you are. Maybe next time you you can move up a level. The first thing that comes to my mind is, oh my goodness, that takes a lot of time to provide Mm -hmm. those extra resources and scaffolds. But I did hear you say, possibly just use the notes or refer back to pieces that we talked about in class and how much 
um, time did those teachers talk about creating? Yeah, so they definitely talked about that. And they said it was just a shift in thinking of where their time was going. And that's one of the things that got me thinking and thinking about some of the conversations we've had about my favorite conversation is time, but how <laughs> we use our time and maybe transforming the way that we think about it. So it's a lot of front loaded work, but they're saying the end result was better for everyone involved. So instead of getting a stack of 150 papers at a due date and you, the teacher going through with these multi-page rubrics to do that heavy lifting feedback, give it back to the students and then move on with the next, really putting it in their hands at the beginning so that they can be progressing. The example that they used was drafting and writing a paper. And I think it fits really perfectly there because that's a pretty cyclical and ongoing process. But if we give that to our students throughout the creation of that end product, a lot of that time and feedback is in the middle instead of again evaluative at the very end okay so that sounds great since you think about the time and then mm -hmm. what that makes me think of is i'm a huge fan of Carol Ann tomlinson's work and differentiated instruction and she always talked about proactive teaching so if i have been um i'm a, a math teacher for the same subject for 15 years I know every year the kids are going to be stuck on unit one, this section, so I could have those extra scaffolds already prepared or beef up those resources where I know the students are going to struggle. So thinking about that, and then if you provide that extra information and that extra support at that time, then it's going to be less of the reteaching or the feedback later. Is that correct? Or is that, am yeah, I yeah, absolutely. And one of the teachers talked about the way that he implemented it. And so he said that he, and again, this is with specifically writing papers and drafting through the writing process, but he would give students their assignment, have them just throw out a first draft, give them a quick perusal, and then he would make or tweak the rubric based on those reteaching concepts that really needed to be there. Mm -hmm. And so he would either update the links that were hyperlinked or shift them based on that particular class or, or this year's crop of students. Maybe this is a, a skill that maybe we need more support in so that when they went to tackle a second draft, everything that they needed was right there in that one, again, progression of learning document. And how wonderful it is to get to know the students exactly where they are. You see what they turned in first for their quick first draft and then go from there to keep going. I'm also thinking about this idea of container and this is just my spin. So this is not from them, but a lot of the things that I was hearing was really, it's just a nice organizational piece that again was born out of the innovation of pandemic teaching of not having that traditional face-to-face -face ability to do a quick recap or pull something up for the whole class to watch. And so lots of teachers have been curating resources pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and whatever stage we're in now uh, to have those extra supports or scaffolds for students. And so instead of having them maybe just live in your LMS or just living in whatever container you use, having a link back to this hyper doc, um, hyper rubric doc rather, is a nice place to organize. So everything your students need is right there for them, which again, I think is a cool idea. Yeah. And then that leads me to think 
if you want to take this to a more advanced level, have the kids start curating some mm-hmm. resources and adding to those supports or those links. Okay. Did they use just Google docs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. This sounds very interesting and exciting. And I think you're right. What a great solution from the pandemic world and asynchronous support. So what else is running through your brain about this? Yeah. Okay. So I have a final share that that I wanted to be sure to talk about. And so both Jeff and Tyler talked about how specifically they use hyper rubrics in their high school English classes specifically. And, And again, that shift from using the rubric at the end to assess that final product to really using it throughout that drafting and writing process. But another component that I thought was really interesting was they both talked about having students have a reflection piece as part of the rubric as well. So there's like a blank section at the bottom where students are writing in the column that kind of assessed where they fall or given that teacher feedback where they are in this particular component, students are naming the changes that they've made and why they're making them. Or like, I watched this video, I remembered this is how to do the thing. So on my next draft, I did this intentionally or I did this differently. And I thought that is a really cool place to put that, that next layer of thinking and having students really reflect on the work that they're doing. It's such a cool component to add to this as well. Oh my goodness. Yes. That metacognition part that Mm -hmm. is brilliant for, yeah, another layer and feedback for you as well as a teacher reading that feedback for the students. Okay, this sounds like it has uh, a lot of potential, and I do love this idea of the process over the product mm-hmm. and the learning progression. I think that is a great idea for educators to embrace. One idea that we're trying on this session of the podcast is use the episode to launch further thinking, and we want to challenge each other to apply what we share So what are you thinking about hyper rubrics and where might we go from here or how might you use this in your world, Laura? Yeah. Okay. So this one is a little tricky to me and I am definitely in the inspiration stage. I don't know if I've quite made it to the application stage. So maybe I can lean on you as a thought partner. Again, this just really spoke to me being a former high school English teacher seeing how nicely this could work with the writing process and how, again, just cool of an idea, a new word for me, even hyper rubric, cool idea. And I think some really effective components, but I am wondering how this could work in other grade levels, other, like some of our younger grades that are less able to be in charge of their metacognition or thinking or learning in the way that maybe a high school student more naturally can. I'm thinking about other content areas, but I'm also thinking, I'm doing lots of thinking. I'm also thinking right now I have the opportunity to work with a lot of coaches. And so I'm wondering if this could be something that a coach could develop 
to share and use with teachers as teachers are advancing through their goals to master various components or goals that they've set. So this idea of embedding that resource or learning piece directly in the rubric, I think would appeal to me as an educator, always trying to advance to that next level. And if I had a coach or a mentor who could provide a resource for me, I think that would be really cool. How specifically that would work, I'm not 100% sure. So these are the questions that I have. That's where I am right now. I I love those ideas and especially Mm -hmm. with the coaches. So what about, I know you've developed several asynchronous courses. Could you create some sort of hyper rubric to model for your asynchronous course? Would that be a possibility? Ooh, that is a cool idea because yeah, even with an asynchronous course, that facilitator or the designer of the course is ultimately the one who is doing the, I'm using air quotes here, but doing the the grading or giving that feedback. And so I wonder if there could be a metacognitive or self-assessment and progression of learning embedded through the course with a hyper rubric linking to things that are already part of that learning piece. Ooh, okay. I will, I will think about that. Okay. This sounds exciting and I can't wait to hear what happens next with that further thinking. (laughs) For sure. We would also like to extend the invitation to you, dear listener, to share your ongoing story of learning as well. Take a moment to pause and think wherever you're listening from and consider What ideas have you heard today that have sparked your interest and inspired further thinking about hyper rubrics? Find us on Twitter at DigLearnRadio to continue the conversation and share your own learning that's inspiring you this week. This season, we're dedicated to sharing our learning and the things that are inspiring us. We hope that when we share, the conversation and ideas will cultivate curiosity and inspire you to explore one of the resources, reflect on a question we've asked, or continue the conversation with us online. Share your learning inspirations and ideas from this episode and beyond with the people in your circle, with us, or with a colleague down the hall. We are, as ever, inspired to learn from Gail Allen and her work in the New Pillars of Modern Teaching. She reminds us that when we share, we add a sentence to the story we communicate about ourselves to the world. Let's continue learning, sharing, and transforming. Let's get inspired.